Okay, guys. <laughs> guys, great to see you. And I'm very excited to share with you some amazing, amazing ideas in this week's Torah portion, which I think are some of the most um, philosophically, um, ideologically, theologically important in Judaism, um, as well as in life. So, in this week's Parsha, Jacob, Yaakov, is on his way back into the land of Israel, and he has a famous confrontation with his brother Esau, as we mentioned previously, Esau, the father of Western ideology, of eventually of Rome, of Christianity, and Jacob, the father of the Jewish people, the 12 tribes of Israel, and they meet each other, and Yaakov prepares for his meeting by sending gifts to his brother to appease him. Remember, if you recall, a few weeks ago, Yaakov, Jacob, stole the blessings from his brother Esau, the blessings of the firstborn. Esau is basically becomes a sworn enemy and wants to kill him. So Yaakov tries to appease his brother by sending gifts, by praying, and by preparing for battle, for war, just in case. And Esau is approaching with a large army of 400 men, and Yaakov has really just his family. And um, that's basically the highlight of the Parsha. Additionally, um, Rif, uh, Rachel, Rachel gives birth to her second son to Binyamin, and then she passes away in this week's Parsha and is buried in, in what's known as Kever Rachel, which is a very auspicious place to pray in outside of Jerusalem. And um, that's essentially the Parsha. So, but there's a famous episode, which some people may have heard before, and that is the confrontation between Yaakov and the angel. Is anyone familiar with the story? It's a famous story. Yaakov goes off as he's preparing to meet his brother Esau. He goes off alone at night, the Talmud says, to get a couple of small vessels, which he had left on the other side of the river. And he's attacked by a man. And he wrestles with the man all night. And the Talmud tells us that the man is an angel, but not just any angel. It's actually Esau's guardian angel. Every person or every nation, ha every person really has an angel, especially a nation. The father of a nation has an angel, an archangel that protects them. The, the wars that are fought between nations are actually just enacted on earth, but the battle actually takes place in the, the heavenly realms between the angels of those nations. And what takes place on earth is really just uh, a reenactment of the battle, which has already took place in, in the heavenly realms. So Yaakov is fighting with the angel of Esau, and I want to share with you... Um, First of all, just what happens is Yaakov gets the angel in a headlock. Basically, Yaakov defeats the angel and he says, bless me. And let, let me read it to you. Yaakov was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the break of dawn. When he perceived that he could not overcome him, he struck him in the thigh and the ball of Yaakov's thigh bone became dislocated as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for dawn has broken. And Yaakov said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The angel said, what is your name? And Yaakov said, Yaakov. The angel replied, no longer will your name be called Yaakov, 
but Yisroel. Yaakov's name is changed from Yaakov to Yisroel, Israel, and is, which is what his descendants are called, the nation of Israel from that moment on, because you have wrestled with the divine and with men and have overcome. Then Yaakov said to the angel, tell me your name. And the angel said, why is it that you want to know my name? Why do you want to know my name? And he blessed him. And that is the end of the story. Okay, so there are a number of things we have to illuminate, elucidate in this story, which is unbelievable. The Talmud tells us, who is this angel that Yaakov is wrestling with? None other than the Satan himself. Do Jews believe in the devil? Guys, do Jews believe in hell? So if you watch the Simpsons, Simpsons go to Israel. Krusty the Clown, who is Jewish, is uh, on his way to Israel. And Lisa says, why do you want to go to Israel? He says, because every Jew has to make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, so we don't go to hell. And Lisa says, Jews don't believe in hell. hell. So Krusty says, oh, well, in that case, and you see him going into a club called the Gaza Strip. No need to say anything more. Okay. But the truth is, do we believe in hell? The answer is yes, we do. It's just not the Christian hell. We believe in something called Gehenna, which uh, I think I told Gabby this joke, that uh, if you ask an Ashkenazi rabbi, what is Gehenna? They'll tell you it's a place of purification where the soul gets purified from its attachment to physicality, or it's a place where you have to live with this, the pain of your bad choices in life or where you get to see your full potential and then you you struggle with the uh, recognizing the areas of your life where you failed to reach your potential or it's a place where you get basically um, locked up with your own consciousness uh, and no physicality and you're stuck basically with whatever spirituality you've learned to engender in your life. Okay, there's different explanations. But if you ask an Ashkenazi rabbi, they'll tell you one of those answers. If you ask a Sephardi rabbi, they will say, yes, and it's hot and you're going to burn. Okay, that's just a Sephardi Ashkenazi joke. Um, Sephardi can take it like it is. But at the end of the day, the answers I said previously are really the real answer is that it is a place of purification. It's a place of grappling with our disconnection from physicality when we're no longer physical or our consciousness and learning to deal with whatever we've built as ourself, meaning your, old, your next world is, is you. It's you without a world. And if you've built yourself spiritually, it's a world of spirituality that you can appreciate. If you've only attached yourself to physicality, then it's a world of suffering because you're no longer physical and all you know is physicality. Okay, but suffice that as way, yes, Jews believe in hell. Do Jews believe in the devil? Satan. Satan. And anyone want to take a guess on that one? Well, the answer is yes. Not, again, not the Christian version. Not a guy who's red with horns. But the Satan is a spiritual force, and we're going to learn about him today and what his mission is. And that actually is the archangel of Asaph. Asaph's angel is the Satan himself. We're going to learn all about him in a few moments. But there's a few questions that we want to understand in this story. Number one, why does the Satan change Yaakov's name. 
Yaakov's name is actually not officially changed. He's just basically precursing that he's going to get a name change. Number Question number two. When Yaakov asks the Sultan, what's your name? He does not answer. He says, what do you want to know my name for? Now, that's quite rude. If a guy has you in a headlock and he asks your name, you should tell him the name. Why doesn't he answer the question? Number three, why does the, the Sultan, the Malach, say, the angel, that I have to go now, sing, I have to go. Dawn has broken. It's time for me to go. Now, the Talmud tells us a few things. First of all, let's understand what an angel is before we understand this specific angel. The word angel in Hebrew, and again, not the Christian concept. It's not like a little baby with wings. That's like Cupid, which is a Greek thing. Okay. An angel in Hebrew is called a malach. What is a malach in Hebrew? Literally means a messenger. And in this week's Parsha, at the beginning of the Parsha, it says that Yahweh sent malachim to Esau. And there's a debate in the Talmud. Is it malachim, meaning angels, or is it messengers, human, just human messengers that he sent ahead of him? The word malach means a messenger. So what is an angel? An angel is a spiritual force which comes into this world to do a job. And when Rashi, Rashi commentaries for based on the Talmud tell us, what does it mean to ask an angel what your name is? So he says, simply put, an angel's name is his mission. The name of an angel represents the mission of that angel. And every angel has one mission and one mission only. And if you know the name of the angel, you know the mission of that malach, of that spiritual force. Its name is synonymous with its mission, and a malach has one mission and one mission only. Essentially, a malach is a programmed robot. It's a spiritual robot which God sends into the world to do something, and that's all it can do. It does not have free will. It's essentially just a spiritual force that comes into the world to bring something to the world. For example, the angel of healing. Does anyone know the name of the angel of healing? Is, how do you say healing in Hebrew? Rafua. Rafua Shlema. So the angel of healing is called Raphael. 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 The angel of healing. Does anyone know, know the name of the angel of strength? Gabriel. That's me. And every angel end, ends with, an, with the same two letters at the end of the name. El Kel, which means God. Right? Gabriel is strength of God. Just like Superman, Ka'el. Right? Um, so, and there are a num number of angels. The four famous ones, the arch archangels, Michal, which is who is like God, is really the archangel of the Jewish people, who's essentially compassion of God. Gabriel, strength of God. Raphael is healing of God. Uriel is light of God, the angel of light. And angels are essentially everything that Talmud says. Every blade of grass has an angel next to it, a spiritual force which hits the grass and says, grow. That's what the Talmud says. Every single thing has a spiritual force. Every physical entity has a spiritual component. That is its angel, essentially, that brings life force to that thing, similar to a soul in a certain way. <laughs> and... So angels, we know, have one mission and one mission only. Their mission is their name. That's what we know about angels at this moment. So let's talk about the angel of evil, the Satan. What does Satan mean? 
comes from the Hebrew word lahastin, which means literally like an impediment or a challenge. What's the job of the Satan? And by the way, for those of you who have been around the block a little, the Satan has a number of jobs. One is that he's, another name for the Satan is the Yetzer Hara. Does anyone know what the Yetzer Hara is? What is it, Laura? <laughs> Evil inclination. It's the force within you that tries to get you to do the wrong thing. It's another name for the Satan. Another name for the Satan is the Malach Hamavis, the angel of death. And another is the Satan, which is essentially the challenger, the force of challenge. What is the job of the Satan? What's his purpose? So in Christianity, there is a dichotomy. There's a battle in Christianity between God and the devil. Right? God is trying to do good in this world, and the devil is trying to do bad in this world. Why is that? absolutely 100% problematic as a Jew, that concept. Right, okay, and, and what, does it, what does it imply about reality if there's God versus the devil? Yeah, is that, it's not monotheistic. That's not monotheism. If you believe there's God and something else, whether that something else is the devil or God's son, that's not monotheism from a Jewish perspective. Whether or not Christianity is monotheistic for non-Jews is a discussion in Jewish law. Could be that Christianity is kosher for non-Jews to some degree, or considered at least monotheistic. But for a Jew, that's certainly mono, not monotheistic. We believe in one God. That means God is controls everything. So... That means there's nothing God plus something else, whether an intermediary to help you get to God, i.e. God's son or an angel. We don't believe in praying to angels. It could well be that a lot of the idolatrous, and the, Maimonides actually talks about this, that the, where did idolatry, where did the idea of idolatry come from, of worshiping many gods? Where did that idea come from? So Maimonides actually explains at the beginning of time, everyone knew about God, one source of everything. But at some point in time, people thought, you know what? Who are we to talk to God directly? Let's talk to God through his emissaries, through his servants, i.e. the angels. And people began worshiping God through his messengers, through different angelic beings, through the constellations and the zodiac which are also spiritual, bring spirituality into this world. So people began to worship God through intermediaries of the gods of the, the angels of the trees. We mentioned every blade of grass has an angelic being, right? Through the stars, through the sun and the moon. So idolatry is essentially going through God's powers, but not to God directly. We say, why go through the intermediaries, go directly to the source? And there are no, a number of other theological ramifications of idolatry. Essentially, if you're going through God's emissaries, what's your goal? What's your goal when you pray to the constellations, the zodiac, or to the God of, of, of healing, or the God of nature? What are you, what's your goal?
let's let's think about it like this. It's a great way to think about it, right? When a person, let's say, let's say for a second that you're a Jew in 1930, 1940, who comes to America, and you believe in God and you keep Shabbos. Your whole life you've kept Shabbos, you keep the mitzvahs of the Torah, you put on tefillin, but you move to America and you realize in order for me to support my family, I have to work on Shabbos. All right, there are a lot of Jews who, uh, when they came to America, they they realized that they're, it's, they're, it's not going to work out here. In America, there was no such thing as a, I mean, Sunday maybe was off, but there's no such thing as as a as a five-day work work week. And there were Jews who, who tried to keep Shabbos when they came here who were called the yellow slippers, which means not that they were wearing yellow slippers. They had something called a yellow slip, which was essentially that they got fired every single week. They had to get a new job because they didn't show up for work on Saturday and they were fired the next day when they came back to work on Monday. So there were Jews that, that gave up everything to keep Shabbos, but a lot of Jews realized, you know what, I can't, I can't do it. So when somebody works on Shabbos, but they believe in God and they believe in the Torah and they believe that God doesn't want them to work on Shabbos. So what are they declaring about their belief in God? I'm not talking about someone who works on Shabbos they've never really done otherwise, they don't know about it, but someone who really knows that they should not work on Shabbos, but they do it anyway because they feel like they need to in order to support themselves. So do they believe in God? Or do they believe in God plus something else? What's the other thing? What's that other force that they believe in? God of money. I believe in God, but I also believe in the God of money. And the God of money, how do I worship the God of money? By working on Shabbos. That's the way I worship the God of money. And if I worship him by working on Shabbos, then I'll get the money. All right? As opposed to someone who says, no, I believe in one God, and he's going to take care of me if I don't, even if I don't work on Shabbos. You get the idea? So the idea of worshiping an idol meaning another God, one of these spiritual forces, whether it's a God of healing, a God of war, a God of love, a certain zodiac sign, I'm essentially recognizing that there's there's one God, but I uh, there's also me, and I have my agenda. And my agenda means I need to get what I want, so I'm going to go through the other spiritual force to get what I want in this world. Essentially, idolatry comes down to worship of myself. I have my needs, and I'm going to try to get my needs out of that other spiritual force. It's essentially utilizing these spiritual forces to fill my own agenda. Whereas worship of God, although many people approach God with a shopping list of things that I need, and I say, God, get me more money, get me a car, get me uh, love and health and success and all the things that I need. Nothing wrong with asking God for those things. But if we really believe in God, then we have to realize that the stuff we're asking for has to fit his agenda. Right? So the ultimate prayer is help me to do what you want, God. If it's, if it's good for me, if, it's part, if it fits into your vision for me, help me to have health and happiness and success. The whole idea of praying to God is about relationship with him. It's not just about getting my needs met. It's about doing what he wants and asking him to help me to fit 
into what his mission is for me and for the world and helping me to fill my needs, but within his ultimate grand scheme for the universe. So it's a very different type of picture. So, so the idea of, we talk, so that's, that's the idea of idolatry. Okay. And so from a Jewish perspective, Christianity is idolatrous to say that there's God plus his son or God plus the devil. So what is the Jewish idea of the Satan, of the force of evil? Why does evil exist if there's not God plus the devil? Ah, excellent. So the Zohar, the primary source of Kabbalah, gives a metaphor for the Satan's job. It says there was a king who wanted to see if his son was worthy of being the next king. So he hired a harlot to go and try to tempt his son. And she goes and she tries to uh, seduce the prince. So what's her... What's her job? Tempt the prince. But what's her what's her true agenda? What does she really want? Who's she working for? Working for the king. So what does she really want? For the prince to fall for her seduction or for the prince to overcome? Overcome her. So the Sutton's job is to challenge us to bring out our best. Think about your life right now. Think about a time in your life when you grew the most. Think about a time in your life where you discovered latent talents and strengths within yourself. Was it the good times or was it the challenging times? Think about the, th- the, the experience in your life that made you who you are today. Does anyone want to share anything that comes to mind? Do we grow from the good times? Or do we grow from the challenges? Just think of the hard times. Think about going to the gym. How do you build muscle? Any any weightlifters here? Anyone into exercise? You, you have to have resistance. The way you build muscle is you have resistance. The resistance breaks down your muscles and they grow back stronger. The only way we grow in this world is through challenge. The idea of the Satan, and which is the force of evil without, and the Yetzirah, which is the force of evil within, is to bring out our latent potential, is to help us to have resistance that we can truly grow, become great, and prove what we truly care about in life. So that's the idea of, of evil. And it's, it's the greatest opportunity. The challenges in life, whether they're internal challenges with our own drives towards negativity, jealousy, jealousy, laziness, anxiety, depression, insecurity, anger, lust, or dishonesty, or external, external challenges such as war, divorce, challenges with health, uh, financial challenges. Again, as hard as these things seem, 
if we struggle through it, we rise to the occasion, we come out so much stronger and so much greater. So that's the idea of, of evil within and without. And of course, uh, it fits in with the Jewish mission. What's the meaning of life? Simply put, the most simple way to explain the meaning of life in Judaism something called tikkun olam, which means fixing yourself and fixing the world. Fixing yourself means struggling with those inner demons, and fixing the world means trying to bring godliness and light to repair the, the external demons of this world. Poverty exists, we've talked about many times. What's the Jewish answer of why is there poverty in the world? can fix it why are we born with so many negative character traits and so many internal challenges gabby since you're unmuted work on it so we can fix it same answer right that's we are all perfectly imperfect definition of a human being well we're really not human beings we're human becomings our job is to rise up from animal to angel to learn to transform ourselves to overcome that urge to do what we want, to learn to do what God wants, right? To literally make ourselves into angels. Angels want one thing and one thing only, to do the will of God. They're programmed. We, have, we don't have a program. And that gives us the most incredible gift. What do we get? Because a human being is made up of both angel and animal. We have a godly soul that wants to do the will of God. We have an animal soul that wants to do the will of me. And what does that give us? that is the most unique human quality. The fact that we have two drives pulling us in opposite directions. What do human beings possess, which is 100% uniquely human? Angels don't have it and animals don't have it. Ability to choose, free will. Free will. And what's the definition of free will? The ability to choose what? Okay, that's that's good. Typically, people people say free will is the ability to do what you want, right? Which is incorrect. Free will is not the ability to do what you want. Animals do what they want. Free will is the ability to not do what you want. Free will is the ability to overcome what you want to do what's right. It's the ability to not give in to your selfish animalistic desires to eat what you want, to uh, to sexually connect with what you want, to attack or steal what you want, to say what you want. Free will is the ability to not do all those things, but to do what's right, to overcome your bodily urges for for what is spiritually correct. So. Now, there's a very interesting custom that after praying the Shemona Esrei, there's a silent prayer which is said three times a day, 18 blessing prayer. And there's a custom at the end of the prayer to say a verse from the Torah that has the starts with the first letter of your Hebrew name and ends with the last letter of your Hebrew name. Okay, there's a custom. If you look in a prayer book, you'll see at the end – uh, typically, they have a list of all the verses that correspond to different names. 
And one of the explanations for this custom is because when you get to the next world, after we leave this world, after 120, we're going to get to the next world and they're going to ask us a series of questions about our life. And the very first question they're going to ask us, do you know what the first question they're going to ask us is? What's your name? And oftentimes when the soul leaves the body, it forgets its name. So we practice, we rehearse every day by saying these verses three times a day to hopefully ingrain in our the subconscious memory of the soul our name. Now, why is that so important? Why is it so important to remember your name? So the Kabbalists explain that when parents give their children a name, they actually have prophecy. And just like an angel's name represents the angel's mission, so too your name, particularly your Hebrew name if you have one, represents your mission in life. Now, it's especially powerful with Hebrew names because Hebrew names have a lot of hidden meaning. Every word in Hebrew has meaning. So if we can actually understand our name, we can understand our mission. We all come into this world with a mission. What's our mission? Our mission has two parts. We have a positive mission and a negative mission. I think we talked about this last week. Positive mission is to do something in this world using our talents or our passions to reveal God in the world, to bring goodness into this world. And we also have a negative mission. What's our negative mission? Does anyone remember from last week? Overcome that inner challenge that we just spoke about. So we all have a positive and negative mission. If we can understand our Hebrew name, it might give us a clue as to our mission in this world, our positive mission. So Yaakov is wrestling with the archangel of evil. And Yaakov says, what's your name? So the Sutton actually has a name. Does anyone know the Sutton's name? So we know that there's Gavriel, Michal, Raphael. So the Sutton's name is actually in Hebrew, Samech Mem Aleph Lamed, known as Samil. Yes. <laughs> so I, I think it would only work especially we, we say Jewish parents who give their children a Jewish name at when the child is born or at the bris, right? So it's a lot of names don't mean anything. That's why I said specifically a Hebrew name, <laughs> right? If your name means nothing, <laughs> so it's hard to say that there's a uh, a message and maybe that your life means nothing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And if a person doesn't have a Hebrew name at birth, so you can actually, you can be endowed with that prophetic spirit to choose your Hebrew name. Okay, and by, by the way, we have a couple of amazing stories like in our family of this personally. Um, when my first, I'll share you, I'll share one of them. When our my wife was expecting with our first child, and there's a custom in Judaism not to find out if it's a boy or a girl. We had no idea. And one day I was thinking about it, about different names, and one day it hit me a name. Just It just kind of fell into my head. And uh, I thought that 
we I think I mentioned to you a few weeks ago that we prayed. Did I did I tell you the story about how we prayed on opposite sides of the room? I don't know if I told you that. So um we we're married for about a year and we we basically it was the parsha Torah portion of Toldus, which is uh the birth of when Yitzchak and Rifka become pregnant with Esav and Yaakov. And it says that they were unable to have children and that they went to opposite sides of the room and they prayed on opposite sides of the room opposite each other and they prayed in the in the merit that each for the other person to become pregnant and basically they prayed on opposite sides of the room and that's how they conceived. And so I said to my wife, you know what, why don't we why don't we do this? Let's let's pray on opposite sides of the room. And uh there's more to the story, not for now, but basically nine months later we 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 were expecting and I'm sorry, nine months later we gave birth to our first son. So um I knew that we had to name Yitzchak if it's a boy after Yitzchak because we prayed in the merit of Yitzchak and we took the story from Yitzchak. So I said, you know what? I want to name my son Yitzchak. Um, if it's a boy, if it's a girl, we can't name Rivka because that's my wife's English name is Rebecca. So that would be weird. But uh, if it's a if it's a boy, Yitzchak, and I was thinking I want to combine it with a different name that has Yitzchak connotes strength. So I would name that connotes kindness or, or peace. So, so I said Aaron, Aaron Yitzchak. Aaron, Aaron was uh, symbolizes peace and uh, a, a lot of different things. Aaron, Aaron Yitzchak. So I said, Aaron Yitzchak, that's the name that I want. So I came home. I said to my wife, if it's a boy, I just thought of an amazing name. And my wife said, what, what, what name? And I said, I don't want to say anything because it might be a girl and then I'll feel silly. So, but you know what? And she started guessing names, and eventually she guessed Aaron Yitzchak. And and I said, yeah, that was that was the name I thought of. She said that was my grandfather's name. So that was like an open, right? And of course, it was a boy. So, um, so that's that's my oldest son's name. So it, that was an open, open expression of this. Not everyone has it so revealed. Although there are, my sister just uh, had a son last week, and I I was there at the bris, and I thought of a name that I suggested to them, and it turns out that they had already chosen that same exact name, Avram Dove Bear. Three names. Uh, they had already chosen that name before I suggested it. That's another crazy example. They thought of it because of a rabbi who was born on the day that the baby was born and who passed away on the same day that the baby was born. Um, and I thought of it because a different rabbi's name who was born a few days later. And um, they basically combined two different names and came up with the one name of a rabbi that was born a few days later, who I suggested his name was Avram Dove Bear, who we actually had a personal miracle that took place on his yurt site a year ago. That's why I thought that maybe we should name after him um, in our family. Okay, there's uh, by my sister's two sons ago. I also suggested a name based on a family tree that we'd been re researching. We discovered that we had our oldest ancestor that we could reach back to. My father's great, great, great grandfather's name was Judah, Yehuda. So I said, maybe you should name Yehuda. And they had actually already chosen the name Yehuda before I suggested that. So again, pretty amazing stuff. So, okay. So your name represents your mission. So what is the Sutton's name? Samich Mem Aleph Lamet Samil, known as the Samich Mem. In uh, Hebrew, Samech Mem is pronounced as Sam. So I always say it's Uncle Sam, right? That's the American, uh, American dream. What does Samech Mem Aleph Lamed stand for? Samech Mem means blindness. His name is the blindness of God. His job is to blind you from seeing God in this world. His job is to blind you from reaching your full potential. 
So when Yaakov gets the angel in a headlock, the angel says, let me go. I have to sing praises to God. Why? Because at that moment, he was defeated. Because Yaakov beat him. And what is the job of the Satan? What's his job? That we should win. He wants us to beat him. When we beat the Yetzirah, when we beat the evil inclination, he finishes his mission and he goes back up and sings praises to God. Because that's ultimately his mission is to be beaten. So at that moment, Yaakov got the angel in a headlock. He says, let me go. Dawn is broken. It's time for me to sing praises to God. Why? Because I've just been defeated, which is my mission. So Yaakov says, what's your name? And the angel says, what do you want to know my name for? He never answers him. So says one of the great modern-day Hasidic masters, Rabbi Moshe Wolfson, says he was actually telling him his name. He says, what's the angel's name? What do you want to know your name for? His name is his mission. What's his mission? To get us to never ask, what's our name? What's our mission in life? Why are we here? His whole mission statement is to get us to say, what do I need to know my name for? That is his name. He was secretly giving, alluding to Yaakov what his mission is, to get us to never ask, what's our true purpose in life? So, this, But his real name is the Samech Mem, the angel of blindness, to blind us from God. When Yaakov defeats him, he says, no longer will your name be Yaakov. Why? Because Yaakov denotes, actually means crookedness or trickery. Yaakov's mission until that point of his life was to learn to be trick a trickster. We mentioned a few weeks ago, Yaakov was born a, a, a pure person who naturally wanted to be attracted to spirituality. His mission was to learn how to go into the world of trick, trickery, into the world of, steal, of of lying and tricking, to spend time with Esau, to go into the house of love on his uncle who was a master trickster in order for him to learn to live in both worlds, that he can bring spirituality into physicality. Yaakov, the letter Yud symbolizes spirituality. Akiv means the heel, which is the lowest part of the body. His job is to bring spirituality into physicality. He has to learn how to go out of the tents of spirituality into the physical world to learn to live in both the light and the darkness because the mission statement of the Jewish people is to bring spirituality into all places of this world, including the most physical and the darkest places. But now Yaakov gets a new name. He overcame that. He accomplished that mission of learning to tr become a trickster. And now he's given a new name, Yisrael, which means to wrestle with God or straight one of God or prince of God. But now here's a new, a new, a new meaning, which I found, which the name Yis, Yis, Yishur, Yashur, Kel also can mean seeing God. Why is that so significant? Because the angel of evil, the angel, the sultan's name is blindness of God. His job is to blind us from seeing God. And Yisrael's mission is to help us to see God in every aspect of life. And, he, and because he completed his mission, he now gets a new name and a new mission, which is to be the father of the Jewish people and to continue that mission throughout all of history as the people of Israel. Our mission is to reveal God in every moment, in every experience, and most importantly, within ourselves. By learning to recognize that the negative traits within us are direct gifts from God. 
And if you want to know where God is inside you, it's in that negativity. If you can learn to overcome that negativity, learn to accept the negativity, and to, then you'll discover that within that negativity is the greatest revelation of potential because that's where your greatest potential lies, is in the places of the greatest darkness and the greatest challenges. So we'll conclude just with a short message about Hanukkah, and hopefully next week we'll talk more about Hanukkah. The, the some point out that this whole story of Yaakov wrestling with the angel took place when Yaakov went across the river to retrieve, the Talmud tells us, some small vessels that he left over there. So some want to say that the vessels that were left over there were the vessels of oil, that one vessel of oil that was found in the Hanukkah story which enables the Jews to light the menorah. So perhaps the message of the Hanukkah story is the Greeks defiled the entire temple. They made all of the oil, which symbolizes spirituality, the soul, impure. But the Jews, after they defeated the Greeks, searched. They searched far and wide, and they found one pure jar of oil. And the message is, no matter how impure you may feel, no matter how far from God you may be, no matter how much darkness you may have in your life, there's always a pure jar hidden somewhere within you. And if you can tap into that pureness, the spark of your soul, the peace inside you which is pure and perfect and untouched by trauma, and untouched by shame and untouched by pain, there's a part of you which is pure and perfect and connected to infinite light and infinite potential and infinite goodness and beauty. If you can tap into that one spark of goodness within you, it can literally transform your entire life, literally burn miraculously and, and literally illuminate and transform the entire world. So I wish you guys all a beautiful Hanukkah, and hopefully we can all tap into some of the greatness that lies within each and every one of us and the light that is hidden in the darkness of our life.